1: must be the priority of your life if you are going to be a fisher of men and women if you're going to be one who finds your one if you're going to make a difference in your corner of the world then being with jesus must be a priority of Jesus, the focus of our passage today, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. And and yet many of you also know me and you know that I've been in churches like this all my life, around people like us all my life, and the truth is I come in contact with a lot of people that, that love Jesus. I think they truly do have a relationship with Jesus, and yet many Christ followers have never led one other Christ follower to saving faith in Jesus Christ. We've not become fishers of people like Jesus commanded. And you have to wonder why. I mean, is there some crazy excuse? I I heard about this little boy that wanted to go fishing, and so he said to his mom, "Mama, I want to go down to the lake and go fishing. And she said, Sure, not a problem. He would often do this. She said, One exception, you need to take your sister with you. And he's like, Oh, Mom. Last time she went with me, I didn't catch any fish. Mom said, well, I know she can be noisy. I'll talk to her and I'll tell her she has to be quiet. Little boy said, no, it's not that she was noisy. She ate all the bait. I don't know what your excuse is for not catching fish. I I don't really like to fish. Just that's, that's the truth. I don't know why. I mean, maybe it's because it takes time. I've got some friends, Mike Renner in this room, man, he loves to fish. He's always posting like, the well that swallowed Jonah that he caught that day. I mean, he, I, I'm not that way. I mean, when I go out, I just, I, I'm standing there, sitting there, and nothing's happening. It, it takes time, and some people don't like to fish because it's dirty. That doesn't really bother me. I, I think I don't like to fish because it's just disappointing. I would like to fish if I caught fish. I just stand there. Maybe that's why we don't fish for people, right? We've not seen the. The joy that comes from seeing another person begin a relationship with Jesus Christ. And yet that has been God's plan. There's an amazing verse in the Old Testament. In Jeremiah 16, 16, it says, Behold, I'm going to send for many fishermen, declares the Lord. This is the Old Testament. And they will fish for them. And afterwards, I'll send me hunters and they will hunt for them. From every mountain and every hill and from the clefts and, and from the rocks and And yet, we are not fishing. There was an old gospel preacher named R.G. Lee. And R.G. Lee said, the greatest sit-down strike in the world is in our churches, where those who claim to be saved have never become fishers of men. I want to make a bold statement today, and then I want to back it up from Scripture. I believe Jesus would say to you and me, hey, if you're not fishing, you're not following. We're in this series called Who's Your One? I've been asking you to to pray for one individual, asking God to give you an open door of conversation, of relationship. So that over maybe the next several months leading up to the Christmas season, you will have an opportunity to have a gospel conversation with that one person. And what if we all just reached one? Each one reach one. What if that one, maybe we just reached one, but that one reach the multitude. So last week we looked at the first calling of Jesus, of some of his disciples, and, and we saw that there were really three things we could do in a very practical way. And I gave you three words. Here's the three words. Say them after me. The first one was involve. The next one was invite. The next one was influence. So I said, just understand that God wants you to involve others in this journey of faith. You're, you're not adding it alone. So you're, you're to look for ways in your faith journey, things you're already doing, just to involve those in your corner of the world. And, and then I said, one way you can do that is just by inviting them to church. Statistics tell us that most people today that come to faith in Jesus Christ, in our culture, in America, do so because a friend, a family member, someone in their little corner of the world invited them to church. And then we talked about how when you do that, you influence them greatly. You, you shine the light of the gospel into darkness and, and things begin to change for them. I pray that you've done some of that this week. But this week, we're going to look at a, another passage and you could just think this is a, a different version of the same story, but it, it's not really because what we saw last week is Jesus encountering his, uh, what would be his disciples, and issuing a call to salvation. Today, it's really a call to discipleship, a, a call to become fishermen, if you will. So Jesus had begun his earthly ministry; he had experienced his baptism. One of the reasons we celebrate believer's baptism is because we want to model what Jesus modeled for us. Jesus had been baptized. Jesus had been anointed by the Holy Spirit. He had been tempted of the devil. He had been proven sufficient to the test. And now he starts his ministry in a place that was his own backyard. A place he had grown up. He he starts it in Galilee. and, And we learned last week that that's all God wants for you. That your best starts right where you are that you don't have to first go to a mission field or even on a mission trip. God just wants you to start where you are. Now, one of the reasons we love for you to go on mission trips, like the one that's coming up to Argentina, is because we want you to know that when you see you can do it there, almost everybody is inspired to come back and do it back at home. Because that's where it starts. Well, Jesus was in his own backyard in Galilee. In December, I'll be taking another group to the Holy Land. I'd love for you to go. But when we're there, one of the things that we enjoy most, in addition to the garden tomb, almost everybody says their favorite thing is just riding and walking along the Sea of Galilee. Just look what you see when you see the Sea of Galilee. It's like beauty. And you can imagine that Jesus was just walking this shore. In fact, in this next picture, you see a boat just out beyond the shore, a fishing boat. And so in this very same way, Jesus may have been calling out to his disciples in a boat not unlike that. In fact, we know the kind of boat, you'll see here, a boat was discovered that is like the fishing boat from the time of Jesus, 2,000 years old, and you have an opportunity to see that there in the Holy Land. it's amazing to walk and experience what Jesus walked and experienced, and on that day, He was in his backyard in Galilee, a hustling and bustling area at that time. It would have been more like Clearwater Beach or Indian Shores where there's putt-putt golf and all kinds of stores. And that's where Jesus was walking along. And this is what the Bible says took place. Matthew chapter 4, verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who's called Peter, and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, Follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. And immediately they left their nets, and they followed him. And going on from there, he saw two other brothers, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, in the boat with Zebedee, their father, mending their nets. And he called them, and immediately they left their boat and their father, and they followed him. There's some truths that jump off the pages of scripture that speak to this call to fish for people. I'm going to give you those truths. We'll then pray and we'll leave and we'll go fishing. The first truth is this. Jesus sees you where you are. But he calls you to become what he created you to be. We learned last week Jesus really does see us where we are. One of the stories we learned last week was that this guy named Philip that Jesus had called to salvation went out and found a friend. His friend was Nathaniel, and Nathaniel was skeptical at first, but when he began to walk toward Jesus, Jesus spoke to him, and he said to Jesus, you don't know me. And In that passage, we were reminded that, yes, indeed, Jesus does know us. Maybe today, the primary reason you're here is to be reminded that Jesus knows you. He knows where you are. He knows what you're going through. He knows your greatest fears. He knows your deepest hurt. He he knows the longings of your soul. He knows you because he sees you. A friend in college used to say to me, he knows your address. In in other words, you're not hiding from him. You're, You're not incognito. Jesus sees you just as Jesus saw these disciples on that day. then he called them and in that call we see a deeply important truth you've heard it said before jesus calls us not based on our ability he calls us based on what our availability we see that in this passage because it could easily be argued jesus did not call the best nor the brightest And I don't think he usually does. If you look throughout history, it's interesting because you'll find that Jesus often chooses those that nobody has known. From humble beginnings, often in even obscure places, to bring him the greatest glory. Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. Consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise, I want you to understand, God sees you, and God has big plans for you, and those plans have nothing to do with your ability. They have nothing to do with your background. They have nothing to do with how inadequate you feel. He sees you, and he calls you for what he wants you to become. Hi, I'm Paul Purvis, the lead pastor of Mission Hill Church right here in Tampa Bay. Thanks for taking the time to listen to today's The Barnabas Effect. the Barnabas Effect. That will direct you to a simple way that you can give right there online. Thanks again for listening to the Barnabas Effect today. And now we continue with our message. I want you to understand the context of this particular passage of scripture. You need to know a little bit of Jewish history. In the Jewish culture, every Jewish boy would study the Torah. Do you know what the Torah is? The Torah is what we call the first five books of the Bible. Let's say them together with me if you know them. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Those are the first five books of the Bible. Every Jewish child would learn those first five books of the Bible. That's why in the Torah, in those first five books, we're reminded that parents were were told to put those scripture verses uh, on their uh, on their arms and on their foreheads so that they might have them constantly before them so that they might learn the truths of God's Word. Every boy up to the age of five. But then there would be some who were just clicking. They were getting it. I mean, this was natural to them, and they had a hunger, a desire to to learn more about the Bible, to learn more of God's Word. and And, and those... Those individuals, uh, they then would go to school, and they, until age 10, would, would begin to, to learn the other books of the Bible, those books of the Bible that we now call the Old Testament. And they would begin to be scholarly in that way. And and so from age 5 to 10, they would learn the Torah. From age 10 till about age 17, those others would go to that next step. and, And they would learn the rest of the Old Testament. And then, those that did not go to learn the Old Testament, you know what they would do? They would just go back to the family business. They would become fishermen. They would become carpenters. They would make fine linens. They would do whatever vocation their family had done. At age 17, those who had learned the Old Testament would then seek out a rabbi. A rabbi that they wanted to imitate and emulate. A a rabbi that they wanted to be like. And they would go and sit at the feet of that rabbi. Why? Because to sit at the feet of a rabbi was to indicate that you wanted to learn from them. You wanted to be like them. And sitting at the feet of the rabbi, they would request to follow that rabbi. And then the rabbi would have a choice. He would test those young men. He would test their knowledge of the Bible. He would see if they understood the things of God. And if they did, if he thought they were worthy, he would choose one of those young men to be his disciple. To follow him. And that was significant, because those young men would be with him sometime for years. They would spend every waking hour watching the rabbi, because what was their goal in following him? They wanted to be like him. They wanted to become like he was. Now let's go back to our story. Jesus was a rabbi. How do we know that Jesus was a rabbi? Because those that followed him called him rabbi, teacher. So Jesus was a rabbi. But what we see in this story is not the demonstration that I just described. Look again at verse 18. While walking by the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon, who was called Peter, Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. They were fishermen? What does it mean if they were fishermen? They were not the best and the brightest. They were not the top of the class. They were not the ones that everyone had looked to and said, He is going to be something. He's going to make it big. They were just ordinary people that God wanted to use for an extraordinary task. Aren't you thankful that that's the way God worked? John MacArthur puts it this way. He says, God skipped the wise of the day. The great scholars were in Egypt. The great library was in Alexandria. The great philosophers were in Athens. The powerful were in Rome. He passed over Herodotus, the historian, and Socrates, the great thinker, and Julius Caesar. He chose men so ordinary, it was comical. No rabbis, no teachers, no religious experts. Don't miss this. God doesn't call people based on who they are. He calls them. Because He sees what they can become. And that should encourage you. It should encourage you because God sees you where you are, but He sees past you are where you are. He, he sees past your shortcomings. He sees past your inadequacy. He sees past your education, your circumstance. He sees past your insecurity. He sees past your fears. He sees past your weakness. He sees past your past. Isn't that a good thing? He sees you where you are. But he sees you for where he wants you to become. Said another way, we're reminded in scripture again and again, God doesn't call the equipped. His way is equipping the called. He does the work. And when you truly understand that, when you truly understand that God sees you where you are and he calls you for what he wants you to become, then you realize you need to stop making excuses. Because you realize he, he is going to do the heavy lifting. He, he's going to do what's necessary to give you the ability to accomplish what he's called you to accomplish. Amen. Are you making excuses today? Do you remember that he sees you where you are? Are you holding on to that truth from the Old Testament, that the eyes of the Lord, in 2 Chronicles 16 it says, roam to and fro throughout the whole world to give strong support to those who are devoted to him. God sees you where you are, but he calls you to that person he wants you to become. So I want you to think about that second truth. Jesus calls you to become what you were created to be. Did you hear that? Jesus calls you. Just say that with me. Say, Jesus calls me. Jesus calls me. Have you ever gotten an important phone call? Has your phone ever rung and you you look at the number and you recognize this is it? Maybe it's that date that you've been wanting to have. Maybe that's employer for the job that you wanted to get. Maybe it's that friend that you just knew you needed to talk to. And maybe it was publisher's clearinghouse. If it was, tithe. Jesus calls you. Jesus, again, turned over the apple cart, so to speak. He did things differently than the traditional religious way. In the traditional religious way, the young men would have sought out the rabbi. Jesus was seeking out the young men. He was saying, I want you. Jesus often does things differently, doesn't he? They were not sitting at his feet. He sought after them. You might remember we learned last week that's his mission. Remember Luke 19? The Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, there is one reason. Jesus sought after you. That's a great thing. Let that sink in. If you're not yet a follower of Christ, I've got some good news. The God of the universe, the creator of all that is, the one who was born of a virgin, who died on a cross, who was buried in a borrowed grave, who rose from the dead, Jesus the Christ, the Lord, the master, the one that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. He is seeking after you even today. That's exciting. In fact, Jesus put it this way in John fifteen sixteen. You did not choose me, but I chose you. Now, just these first truths should help me in this fishing expedition that he's called me to go on. Because I should begin to understand that he sees me where I, where I am. He, he doesn't expect me to be overly qualified, to be overly educated, to be overly equipped. He sees me where I am. And he's the one doing the calling. In spite of all that I am, in spite of what he sees, he wants me to come along for this journey, this fishing expedition. Let me give you this third truth. You'll never become what he created you to be until you first learn to be with Jesus. You've got to understand the first aspect of his call. And I think after 50 years of walking around Christ's followers, this is an area where we most often get it wrong. The the first thing that God has called you to do is not to do, it is to be. It is to be in his presence. I need you to understand this today because some of you here need to follow Jesus for the first time. It doesn't matter how many times you've raised your hand or how many times you've prayed a prayer. It doesn't even matter if you've been baptized or how many times you've been baptized. If there's not been a time in your life where repentance took place, where you turned forsaking your ways, to follow Him, then biblically you are not saved. You might be a church member. You could even be a deacon or a leader. Shoot, you could be a staff member or a pastor. But that doesn't make you saved. You only have a salvation relationship with God when there's been that turning point in your life where you realize, oh, to be with Him. Got to follow
0: him. you've been listening to the Barnabas effect with Pastor Paul Purvis the Barnabas effect is here to provide listeners like you with biblical truth and spiritual encouragement but it can't be done without your financial support.